Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, President of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, here with Jeremy Kitchen, our Executive Director. How you doing? Doing great, man. Woo, I'm tired, man. Are you? <laughs> Tired of reading bills, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I, we we go back and forth until I think last night we were talking until 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. And so, of course, uh, this is not either of our first rodeo. Uh, we are absolutely in the thick of it. We have or really hundreds of bills we're dealing with on a daily basis. They're throwing out about 30 to 40 in the House and about the same in the Senate. Uh, and so we have our work cut out for us the rest of the session. I uh, want to kind of uh, start off by talking about uh, the major vote that happened on Tuesday. And of course, we're recording on Wednesday, so the third reading's coming, and we'll have an update on this. But essentially, a big vote uh, that has gotten a lot of attention is there were uh, legislators voted for Schofield's bill uh, that essentially on the surface, it looks like it just raises district judges' salaries. Uh, but for those who are in the know and understand what this means, and they have done this multiple times in the past, um, the legislators' pension is tied directly to, there's a formula that, that occurs, but it's tied to the district judge's salary. And so, you know, they'll come out and say, hey, you know, we need to adjust the district. So it's about time to adjust again. You know, we have inflation. But the reality is what they're doing. This is a roundabout and kind of secretive way in which they can bump up their own pensions. And so they took a vote and there was only six representatives that voted against giving themselves pension bumps. And so that's kind of caused a stir on Twitter. I know I've tweeted about it and TFR has as well. Uh, and so uh, thoughts, Jeremy? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it probably, there's most taxpayers probably don't even know that lawmakers get pensions, right? For a part-time legislature um, and uh, for most legislators that maybe aren't there for, you know, four or five sessions, uh, it's, you know, I'm sure this might be the first time they're hearing that lawmakers receive pensions. Um, so there's that. Uh, I, I think I, you know, my personal opinion is they absolutely shouldn't have pensions anyway because it's not a career uh, uh, per se. And then, of course, just the pension system, as you tweeted about, and I, I definitely agree, is just the way we do pensions, uh, state-sponsored pensions, is just archaic. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, of course, it's taxpayers, right, on the hook for that. Um, and it's not a surprise uh, that, you know, they, uh, they <laughs> the vast majority of them uh, supported increasing that as such just because, and they know, right, there's, there's not a lot of accountability that would come with that since they can kind of hide the ball um, on that. So I think we rightfully called it out. Yeah, I, uh, and for those who you just kind of expand, you know, you mentioned it, you know, it's, it's, I believe, four legislative cycles in which they actually vest or qualify for a pension. And every cycle after that, that they, they, their, their pension gets bumped up just a little bit. Right. And so they'll, the, so they're, they're obviously incentivized once they've vested into that pension after their forced legislative session. The longer they stay, the sweeter that pension is. And so this is one of the things while people are like, why, why are these people sticking around for so long, you know, at, at a part time salary? Right. Like they get they get paid like seventy five hundred bucks a year or something like that. It basically covers, you know, uh, you know, health care expenses and really not even that. But uh, there is motivation uh, for them to stick around because they uh, get better and better retirement the longer they stay. And, um, you know, it's it's in their best interest. And so um, it's it's important for taxpayers to understand uh, why even sometimes, you know, when someone's completed their fourth cycle, the, the conversation starts talking like, 
is this this last person's last cycle? Because we know kind of from the inside baseball that most of those representatives, you know, if they're not looking to be a lifer, right, then they're really going for maybe four or five uh, so they can vest. And then, hey, they have their pension and it's a sweet pension by the way. And there, and, and to your point, you know, and, and of course I made it on social media, you know, TRS, ER, we're always coming back to these programs to, to complete, they're upside down because pensions are a, an, an idiotic way to do retirement. It is absolutely a n- not being a good steward of taxpayer dollars. And we absolutely should be transitioning away from these archaic programs. They cost taxpayer dollars. We can't sustain the programs and we should be going to some sort of matching or 401k or, and I'm talking for teachers and actual bureaucrats, right? I agree with you that they should not have any pension whatsoever because they're a part-time there. This isn't their job. You know, this is supposed to be a part-time gig. So I'm with you on that. It'll be interesting to see, you know, I, what six people voted against it on second reading yesterday, obviously to your point, right? We're recording this on Wednesday. It'll be interesting to see if anyone flips uh, to, a, to the no column uh, after, after today. And you see the, the amount of no's be increased. If not, I think it's a sad commentary on where we're at specifically in the Texas house. Yeah, I have no doubt uh, with the amount of traction that that uh, that got that some lawmakers probably heard from their constituents and are probably reconsidering it. I suppose it's it's uh, not out of the realm of possibilities that some of the newer lawmakers had no clue. But you can't tell me that those lawmakers that have been there for two or three cycles don't know what's going down. They know what's going down. Don't Absolutely. let them, don't, don't let them lie to you. Right. Well, let's uh, let's pivot to uh, another big piece of news. We did have HB five that was voted out of committee. You want to give us the breakdown on where that's at? Yeah, so of course we've talked about this bill several times before, but it's moving, which is so it's important to highlight that House Bill Five is the prioritized effort by House Speaker Dade Phelan uh, to kind of revitalize the largest corporate welfare program in the state of Texas, which ended or had uh, the the program itself was ended in December of last year. Um, it's authored by State Representative Todd Hunter, a Republican out of Corpus Christi, um, and as we've talked about several times, I know you watched the committee hearing when this was heard. Right, there is no sunset provision here. It lacks accountability in so many ways. It's even more nefarious than the previous rendition of the Chapter 313 tax abatement program, right? Uh, But the takeaway, the news this week outside of it passing unanimously out of the House Ways and Means Committee, it is yet to be um, sent or put on a calendar as of yet, although those deadlines are coming soon. So I imagine we'll likely see it next week on a calendar. But the, the more interesting takeaway is, of course, it's at 76 um, authors, right? So that's a mixture of joint authors and co-authors, but ultimately that's 76 public names of supporters of the bill, right? Which also means that in a, in a full house of representatives, when they're voting, that's enough people to vote it out of the house, right? So that's the, the big news. Of course, the unknown is, and I'm sure we'll talk about this is the Senate and whether if it did pass, presumably the house, whether the Senate would do anything with it. But, you know, I think the other thing to highlight here is after we kind of called out, right, the the names of people that were on this list. Mind you, I think it was six people on that list who supported this cycle who were opposed to it last cycle, right? So that's an, an important thing. Three of those names took their names off, right? And then three additional names were added. So they're still at 76. Um, but, you know, the two notable ones, so Gary Gates, I believe he's a Republican out of Richmond area uh, there. He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, right? And, or the Texas Freedom Caucus. And uh, he was originally on uh, as as a co-author. He took his name off, right? 
Um, now, another Freedom Caucus member, Richard Hayes, was originally not on it, and he added his name. And what's notable there is that the Texas Freedom Caucus came out, I don't know, early March, uh, late February, opposed specifically to this bill. And so it's interesting to see two of their members at least tacitly be in support of it. I think, uh, you know, what this shows is, you know, when when you shine a light, like the cockroaches scatter, right? And I, I think, you know, to, to give some encouragement to voters who think that, oh, you know, the whole thing's rigged. Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. Like they're, they're absolutely playing inside baseball. And the fact that, you know, three dropped off, but then three more popped on, right? Absolutely. The leadership team is making sure that they have 76 to get this across the goal line. But what, what is um, important is when, you know, transparency and was provided, uh, Look how quickly someone like Gary Gates is like, nope, 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 nope. I don't want, I don't want that. You know, I don't want people knowing about that. Maybe he didn't know it was as big of a deal. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But the fact that people are like you're supporting corporate welfare when, as you said, he's part of the Freedom Caucus and the Freedom Caucus has openly come out on, on social media and say, hey, we oppose this because both parties oppose it. Right. And because it's just a bad deal for Texans. And so, you know, uh, when we do things like this, where we're calling out people raising their pensions or calling out, uh, you know, vote like this is this is our mission. And it's to provide transparency and light and to illuminate what's going on in the legislature. And so it just proves that, you know, uh, despite some of these people's feelings about even us or you as a constituent, uh, they are paying attention to what we're doing. They are following us on social media or else they would not be, you know, you know, revolting whenever when they're like oh no uh i i get get my name off that list and so i i would love to be a fly on the wall when when gary gates went and said hey by the way i need to remove my name from this list it's not not good for me and what that tells us is they understand that this is not a popular issue with taxpayers and they are simply doing it uh because of honestly a corporate lobbyist uh, th these are the people who are pushing this. Uh, when you listen, as, as you said, I listened to the whole committee hearing overwhelmingly, the testimony was negative. Like nobody wants this. Uh, you know, uh, every Texan, which is more kind of a, a left leaning uh, organization, they oppose it for some different reasons than we oppose it. Uh, but but your organizations on the left, your organization on the right, we all oppose this. Now, the reality is the question is, you know, it looks as though with 76 co-authors, it's going to pass the House. Likely, uh, unless something, unless more pressure is applied and more people pull their names off, which is possible. But let's just assume that it, that's not going to happen. They have the votes to get it through the House, which I believe last cycle, 313s went through the House as well, barely, right? And it died over in the Senate. So the question is, what is going to happen in the Senate? Well, we kind of have a little bit of insight because Dan Patrick came out, I believe, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but I think he alluded to, hey, you know, his, his infrastructure, his subsidies for gas, or uh, I, I think, and maybe maybe you can expand on that. You know, he he's like, well, you know, hey, if you guys want, you know, HB5 passed, maybe we should do this. And I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I could be misquoting, right? But he basically insinuated, hey, if you guys want HB5 passed, you're going to need to do us do us a solid right and pass uh, the natural gas subsidies. And so I think it actually does have a realistic chance of getting uh, through. And so it's really vitally important that we have some uh, representatives that come and not only oppose us and try and kill this thing, but in the in the in the chance that it does get across the finish line, this thing needs way more accountability. It's just it's horrific in its current state. You, you mentioned a lot there. I think, yes, both parties are obviously in opposition, but what's notable, right, is I think it's 52 Republicans and 24 Democrats are signed on as authors of this bill, contrary, right, to what their party platforms uh, say. Uh, to 
I think you're right, you know, in that it's kind of to our dismay, if you will, to, you know, if we were expecting the Senate to potentially hold the line on this, uh, the lieutenant governor's line, I'm going to use air quotes there, seems to be that he's open to it. It seems like this is potentially a bargaining chip, right, that's being used in kind of the meta conversation that's happening behind the scenes outside of public purview, too. Uh, between kind of where we're going to be at the end of session, right? And so you've got, whether it's Dan Patrick trying to make sure that his property tax efforts are the ones that make it across the finish line, or as you said, right, his kind of ERCOT, energy um, uh, energy stuff makes it across the finish line these he's he's publicly said that he's he's open to it whatever that means um, you know that's definitely concerning there's a lot of concerning stuff but that's concerning uh, certainly too because you know we we talk all the time about the house right running contrary uh, to its majority republicans a lot of them are running contrary to their own platform it's a little concerning um, given the senate's track record or at least being better right on some of the stuff that uh, that they're potentially open to something contrary to that platform um, as well, considering they also have a Republican majority um, over there. And so we don't know what we don't know, obviously, right? Uh, we're coming up on some deadlines here in about two weeks, but I imagine this bill will be put on a House calendar next week. To your point, it is likely going to be voted favorably out of the House, potentially favorably out of the Senate, Right. And then it's a question. It seems like the governor has been open to it, uh, especially now that it doesn't create or doesn't have the um, the, the, the green energy. Right. Uh, subsidies in there. Um, it, it, no matter what, the biggest takeaway here is that it, it will be in its current form. If we do not kill it and it does not get improved by amendments, it will be terrible for Texas taxpayers. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so let's pivot kind of our last uh, our last bit. You wrote an article uh, about, I believe it was HB 12, uh, which was uh, one of the many bills that is expanding Medicaid. And so since you wrote the article, why don't you explain exactly what that bill does? Yeah, so House Bill 12 uh, it passed the House last week, um, right? And so what that specifically does, it's authored by Democrat State Rep Tony Rose. It's a legislative priority of Republican House Speaker Dade Phelan. Um, it's very similar to a bill that passed out in the House last legislative session, uh, House Bill 133, also authored by Rose, um, where I believe the portion that House Bill 12 takes care of this session got stripped out before it got fully passed. But ultimately what House Bill 12 does um, is it extends Medicaid coverage for pregnant women an additional 10 months for a total of 12 months um, after pregnancy, right? Um, and there's a lot of concerns there and we, we can get into that, but what ended up happening, right, is that you know, it had, I believe, before it got voted on, it had 65 co-authors already in the House. It's a speaker priority, right? So the, the writing, those rarely are gonna fail, right? So the writing was on the wall, it would likely, uh, likely pass, but uh, very few, people voted against this, I think, if, if at all, right? And there's, there's a lot of concerns outside of the cost. There's no guarantee, obviously, for, uh, for quality service, right? You're, you're kind of increasing the burden, if you will, on the existing system there. Uh, there were some lawmakers that, uh, that expressed concern over um, kind of a lack of guardrails, if you will, when it comes to, uh, you know, there's nothing that requires that the mother that would potentially get this coverage be like carry that baby to term, right? So there's the concern of uh, potentially incentivizing abortion, right? Uh, if you will, there too. Uh, there's also the concern they had in the fiscal note, this was, you know, the cost would be about $147 million to taxpayers over the next two years. But that's assuming that a waiver 
right would go through the reality is is that there is no federal match here so it's actually it would cost it's like upwards of like 340 million dollars to taxpayers and uh about half that every year thereafter right and so it's just it's, it's an extreme cost and and ultimately the the narrative should be in a republican controlled house which by the way in their platform they're opposed to expanding medicaid right for a whole host of reasons but in a Republican controlled house, no one wants to seem to have the conversation on instead of incentivizing folks to be on these social safety nets, these welfare programs, why not create an environment to where we encourage them to get off? And I think that's ultimately what I was trying to accomplish, talking about it and talking through some of the other efforts that are making their way through the Texas House with the aid of Republicans. Uh, this cycle is that we shouldn't necessarily be in the business of expanding Medicaid. We should absolutely be in the business of creating environments that encourage people to come off the the, the taxpayer sponsored dole, if you will, on some of these social safety nets. Yeah, believe it or not, the, the free market does work, and uh, the problem is we don't really have a free market because you know uh, the Texas government, and federal government, has their hands on everything, right? But, you know, for me, you know, it, it shows this is a, is a very typical strategy of how um, the Texas legislature expands government. Right. Uh, and, and what do I mean by that? They usually kind of tug at your heartstrings. So they're going to deal with kids. They're going to deal with pregnant women. They're going to deal with veterans. They're going to deal with mentally disabled people or deaf people or blind people. And they're going to create these grant and subsidy socialist programs, right? And and so then they put you in this kind of false dichotomy, right? This is how they get uh, legislators to vote for it. It's like, you know, well, you know, yes, you have to expand Medicaid and we cost, you know, a quarter or a third of a billion dollars. But do you do you hate pregnant women, right? Do you Do you hate children? Do you, why do you hate veterans? Like, don't you want that? And so they, they get guilt tripped in. And, and the reality is this is a false dichotomy, right? You don't have two options. There's other ways to deal with this. But since we have this bill here, it's kind of like either you support this or you don't. And if you don't support it, well, you hate pregnant women, you know, and if you do support it, well, yeah, you're expanding Medicaid, right? So you got to go explain that. Uh, how about neither, right? Uh, which would entail like the way you should vote on these things is no, and we should be coming up with free market solutions for this. Now, you know, in, in regards to medicine and Medicaid and things like that, there is a lot of government regulation, both federal and state on the medical industry. Uh, but this is just one of many bills that basically, you know, kind of incrementally expands Medicaid. And this is this is how it's going to become this huge, I think eventually we're going to get to universal health care, either in the federal level or state level, by this process, which is just slowly stepping and expanding and expanding to the point where it's like, man, it's so big, we might as well just have, you know, we might as well just have Medicaid for everyone, right? And, and this is what people, people don't have that bird's eye view of what's going on. They're just looking at the individual, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, this is how they move socialism forward is through incremental means, tugging at heartstrings, peeling to emotions and saying, well, you know, it's just a, it's just a third of a billion now. And the next time it'll be half a billion. And then, you know, a hundred million here, a hundred million there. Right. And you take all these votes and then you wake up and you're like, how do we have the most massive Medicaid program in all of America? Well, that that's where we would head. If, if no one is brave enough to say, listen, there's a better solution to this. The free market can solve this problem better than the government. But in order for that to happen, the government has to get out of the way, right? Which means we need to cut 
regulation on the medical industry. We need to free up doctors and, you know, uh, pharmacies and things like that to operate with as little regulation as possible. And I would even say no regulation, which is scary to some people, but it's like, do your homework. That is where you're going to get that insulin come down from $500 a vial to, you know, it, I think it costs like 15 cents or something like that. It's something insane how much it costs to make. Then we'd have $5 insulin, right? Or, or name your medicine, right? It's, it's government intervention and regulation that ultimately creates monopolies and makes the market uh, broken, right? And so I think this is just one vote uh, that, that really typifies how we deal with things like medicine and Medicaid. And it's just, it's the wrong way. There's a better way. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, there's other bills that are being considered actually today on the House floor that kind of do what you were saying, right? It's this incremental kind of chipping away, if you will, slowly, you know, for small groups of people that qualify, allowing them to get Medicaid coverage. You know, I, I want to be clear here, right? We're not talking about Medicaid expansion in the post-Obamacare sense, right? Um, Texas is one of a, only a few states that hasn't expanded via an 1115 waiver, right, to do that. But they are kind of doing that in a roundabout way by just expanding the pools of people that qualify, nitpicking at it, right? Just slowly every session we're adding these pools of people that do that and republicans seemingly are just happy to do that and of course democrats are absolutely on board uh on board with that you know it it's um it's a scary notion uh, to think that this it's a, just a drop in the bucket compared to some of the other social safety net uh, kind of stuff as well. And, and Republicans are aiding in this sort of thing, especially considering, right, that you've got taxpayers, whether in the property tax sense or not, that are just kind of suffering out there, right? These are, this is money that could be put towards that. It's, it's money to your point that, or, or it's time that the legislature could, uh, could be spending to cut regulation, right, um, and have the, have free enterprise uh, certainly approach this topic. And so I think that's what we we're trying to highlight. Absolutely. So um, that's about it for us today. Uh, as as we want to remind you, if you have not subscribed to our vote notices, please go to texastaxpayers.com. In the little right-hand corner, there's a little subscribe button. Subscribe to our fiscal note. We give you weekly updates on Friday of what's going on. And then, of course, there's a, a little box you can check for vote notices. And we will keep you up to date. And we're, like I said, we're putting out tons every single day. And we are in the thick of it probably for the next three to four weeks. We'll be dealing with House bills and Senate and then in other chambers. So we're far from over. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll probably vote on more bills in the next couple of weeks than we have all session long. Uh, and so if you have not done that, there's still time. Uh, of course, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we appreciate y'all. And of course, next week, we'll be back again with another Taxpayer Talks to let you know what has transpired in the prior week. We appreciate y'all. Have a great day.